0: This is a podcast from BFM eighty nine point nine, The Business Station.
1: Buy the book on BFM eighty nine point nine.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Buy the Book. As always, you are with Lee Chui Lin and my fellow enjoyer of children and young adult literature, Shamila Ganason. Yes, very excitedly so. So, uh, today we've got a guest with us. Um, we have got Daryl Koh, who wrote Mistbound, How to Glue Back Your Grandpa, which won the Hedwig Anwar Children's Book Award 2022, uh, also the best young person's title at the Singapore Book Awards of last year as well. Uh, as you can guess from that, he's currently based in Singapore, although I believe he was originally from our fair land. We'll try not to hold it against him. Uh, hello, Daryl. <laughs> Hey, (laughs) old boy. Thanks for joining us today. So uh, before we get into the book itself and the writing and all the rest of it, uh, we usually like to ask authors to, I guess, share as much or as little as they want about the story of the book. Tell us about Miss Bound.
2: Okay. I can tell the story about the book as well as the story behind the story behind the book, if that makes sense. Um, So yeah, Miss Bound, it tells the story of a young girl uh, named Alexis, uh, who's on a quest to save her grandfather's broken memories before it's too late. Um, and the only cure is a potion called memory glue. But unfortunately, to cook memory glue, she needs to gather a bunch of weird ingredients uh, that can be only found on a magical world called uh, mist, which is, I guess, kind of an Asian version of Fairyland, where all the mythical creatures from her grandpa's bedtime stories are actually alive in the flesh. So that's that's the book in a nutshell then that it's basically a fairy tale but it's also a fairy tale that's based on a true story so this is where the story behind the story comes um and and so right before my daughter uh, who surprise surprise her name's Alexis uh, same as the book uh, protagonist um before she was born so about 3 months before she was born my my father had a stroke um which paralyzed him but also uh, caused dementia um, and it took away a chunk of his memories. And after that, he was a totally different person, just a shadow of who he used to be. And, and so, you know, because it happened right before my daughter was born, it felt like they both just missed each other, you know, didn't get the chance to meet, know each other. And, and, and so this book was my way of uh, introducing them, at least on paper. Uh, um. So that was the the idea behind the book, and and it was also not just my father, but also my mom, cause she was my dad's uh main caretaker, and and you know I wanted my daughter to know how amazing and full of love Grandma was. So, uh, uh, this book was a way for Alexis and her grandma to go on an adventure together, to save Grandpa together, um, and, and it's a love story, but not between a girl and a boy, but between a girl and her grandparents.
1: So it comes from a very personal place it obviously has its roots in very personal experiences but there are many ways in which you could have developed this right what interested you in writing it within the fantasy genre one and for middle grade readers for a younger
2: age group right um, well okay uh, in terms of why a younger age group I think first and foremost is because uh, I myself am a Toys R Us kid. Uh, <laughs> I I never grew up and I never will. So my wife always complains how she gave birth to only one one child, but she ends up having two kids. Um, so mainly, while the second thing, why 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 this younger age group is also uh, because I wrote it for my daughter. which uh, was just the original inspiration uh, for it, and I, I was writing for her. But actually, I also want to qualify that Miss Bound, I actually see it not as a kid's book, but as a family book, um, you know, appropriate for ages uh, 8 to 800. Because I also wrote it for my parents. And, and my dream was for my daughter to actually read it to her grandpa when she was older. So next thing is why why fantasy, right, you're asking? Um, you well, know, it's a lot more fun to make things up, I feel, for me. And, and then secondly, because, you know, why not fantasy? Why, why not fantasy, let's say, reality? I find that because in real life, um, dementia can't be cured and, and death can't be reversed. So that's why I went for the fantasy route. Um, because another uh, uh, part of the story behind the story is that my father, unfortunately, passed away before this book uh, could be finished. You know, before my daughter could get a chance to read read to her grandpa, and 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 so it by it being a fairy tale, you know, my dad gets to be saved, and not only that, um, each time someone new reads the book, my dad gets to be saved over and over again. You know, by my daughter, so kind of like a prayer or kind of like magic, because in a way, through this book, both my parents uh, can live forever.
0: And I think. Um, one of the things I, I wanted to know about as well in this process of translating a personal story into a fantasy and, you know, your interests, as uh, as you've said, right, as someone who enjoys childhood or embracing, you know, the, the fun of childhood. Uh, tell us about your own reading habits and influences. How did that feed into the story and, and how you wanted to write it?
2: Very well. Um, I guess a lot of it was shaped by what I read as a child. My dad used to buy a lot of uh, fairy tales uh, uh, and, and folktale anthologies from all around the world for me. Um, and I used to read a lot as a kid, you know, a lot of, besides folktales, a lot of fantasy adventure. But once I, I you know, grew up and joined the rat race, you know, I, I kind of stopped reading. Um, you know, i too embarrassed to actually say how many I used to read. Um and, but so mostly, uh, you know, for this book, actually a lot of inspir- influences came from, or inspirations came came from movies. Uh, uh, so for me, um, it was shows like The Never Ending Story, it was Coco, uh, that one was a big influence. Uh, Kubo and the Two Strings, Song of the Sea, and also Spirited Away, a bit closer to home.
1: And... Um... Perhaps as a contrast to that, how much did you draw from your own life and family when it comes to forming the characters? I
2: would say a lot. Um, the characters are uh, a mishmash of, of my family members. Um, and, and I don't want uh, to say which part of my we- wife went to where. But um, I'll say for Alexis, grandma and grandpa, you know, 60% are based on, on the actual real-life folks that they're based on. Um, but so Riff the Kunit, the what the, the, the troublemaker who caused this uh, you know problem to begin with uh, that that guy has quite a lot of me in him because <laughs> I'm also pretty annoying so that that's that's Riff and 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 then the Batuan um which is the rock troll um that's named after our family dog Biri.
0: Actually, uh, just out of curiosity, so for your family, then reading the book, did they recognize themselves? Did they say, "Hey, why did you, why, why did you put me in this, and why is it like that"?
2: Yeah. Um, well, they knew it was, I was writing. Well, it was about them. Um, actually, my mum only found out when the book came out. She didn't. She knew I was working on a book, but she didn't really know what it was. But I think, uh, when they read the book, it was uh, it had double double uh enjoyment out of it because aside from reading the story, it was basically discovering um, m- uh, uh, memories they had. Of, for example, my mum read and my my sis reading uh, memories about my father. For example, they were all scattered through the book, um, and and, and maybe it, it was a bit like an Easter egg hunt for them and um, kind of like ah this thing oh yeah that thing and and you know we had an added layer for them yeah so no complaints so far
1: was the writing of it a difficult process considering how personal the origins are Good
2: question um well it was a personal book for sure uh, but uh, strangely enough I guess um, because it was written for my daughter and my family it wasn't hard. To be personal, because it was a personal book meant for my family, and um, it was supposed to be uh, you know, I guess what I call as my paper bottle of uh memories, right? Uh, memories of my parents that my daughter could then take with her as she grew up and pass on to her kids and grandkids after that. Um, so no problem at all. It wasn't difficult sharing. Um, but um, funnily enough, I think uh, this story, it was a story about finding a cure for my father. But in writing it, it ended up being a cure for me, myself, actually. And what do I mean? Well, in a few ways, because actually, when I first came out the idea for this book, I was going through a bit of a career crisis, midlife crisis, you know, a bit of depression. And so this project, in one way of cure is that, you know, it became my my refuge, right? Uh, The reminder that I could still create something of value. And then and then when my dad passed away, it was also my way of uh, dealing with grief, you know, feeling, feelings of guilt. So it wasn't difficult for the personal part. Maybe a difficult part was just how to make or portray dementia uh, in a way that wasn't too medical or icky. You know, like going to things like, oh, how did we bring my dad to the toilet? Of course, I didn't want to go into that. Do- those um. So, so I think the difficulty was more of how to translate that into a book for kids or for my daughter. And so things like for example, um, my dad, he used to yell at us, you know, to turn off the TV, you know, when it wasn't even on, it was it's off, you know. Um and, and then me being the lousy short fuse, you know, son, I would yell back at him and, and you know, and tell him that you know it's not on, you know, and, and then it would just escalate from there, it would blow up. And now knowing what I know now and it's too late, but you know is that dementia actually changes your perception of reality and when you try to you know rationalize with a dementia sufferer it actually makes them more confused uh and, and lost and frustrated and so it would have been so much better if I said okay pa, it's I, I've turned it off it's off now you know and it was save all this pain and so I wanted to boil that in and and this chapter where uh Alexis uh faces off against this guy the old man of the mountain yeah you know, he goes she he puts her through a, a, a you know a, a series of trials and it's quite unreasonable and and and, and, and 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 you know and gets worse each time they try to argue. And that was my way of trying to illustrate that because my message was that sometimes if you want to move a person, the best way isn't to push him, but to actually sometimes hold his hand and walk with him. So it's better to be kind than it is to be right.
0: We're speaking today with Daryl Coe about his book Mistbound, How to Glue Back Your Grandpa. Uh, let us know if you've read it or if you enjoy reading family stories that have, I guess, you know, fantastical storytelling styles. Uh, you can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio, and of course write to us at buy the book at bfm.my. Bombing frustrated
1: minds, BFM 89.9.
0: Hello, everybody. You're listening to Buy the Book with Lynn and Sharmila. And our guest today, Daryl Koh, author of Mistbound, How to Glue Back Your Grandpa, uh, which, as we've established, is a, a family story about a young girl trying to save her grandfather and his memories. So, Daryl, um, one of the things that both Sharmila and I spoke about while reading the book is that sense of peril, right? Because the stakes are quite high, especially for a young person thinking about you know, now I need to make sure that my my family um, is going to be okay. And I think it's an interesting balance uh, that needs to be struck when you write for younger readers, because you want to keep them hooked, so the story has to be exciting, but at the same time, there's only so much peril that they might be able to stomach. So, how did you think about that while writing the story, and did you always know how it was going to end?
2: So, I guess two parts to that story. Um, one, one is the peril. Of, um, it helped that I was writing for my daughter, uh, writing for her for her bedtime stories. You know, for her to go to bed with. So it couldn't be too scary, and and that's, I stayed away from from ghosts and spirits, and that would cause her nightmares. Um, and and also made sure to stay away from blood and gore. Uh, so uh, do my best to you know to keep things exciting, either with cliffhangers or or bring characters as close to the brink of danger as possible. Uh, so the and the reader under, reader understands that there's risk and potential for you know harm and you know death and all that, but never actually bringing them to the final you know, you know, death blow or whatever, like the the harm actually being shown or done, and and so that was how I avoided it and and tried my best to keep it interesting. But of course, sadly, the flip side of it is that uh, I it also marked for me that point when my daughter had grown up because all of a sudden, one day after reading and getting hooked to, you know, her taste graduating to books like Hunger Games or, or Maze Runner, she then turns her nose up at me and tells me, I can't read this. I need more killing and I need more blood. <laughs> and, and then in terms of, did I know uh, how it was going to end? Yeah, actually, this book actually began with an end in mind. Um. So, uh, so the whole plot, right? Uh, how how it's a quest to gather ingredients for the cure. That was inspired by the ultimate ingredient of all, uh, which and, and this was uh, inspired by my daughter's name. So when my father first you know had a stroke, lost his memories, those first few months were really tough for my family. Uh, I guess it was like a long, dark winter. Uh, and that's why that metaphor stuck with me, and that's why I needed it to the place that, uh, that had snow and winter. And then the only thing that the family as a whole could look forward to was my daughter's birth, you know, because it happened three months before she was being born. She was she was three months before she was born, so she was still in my mom my my wife's belly, um, and and so always were looking for even my dad who started to uh, get better uh, the closer her her birth approached, and and when she came out. I I gave her, you know, a Chinese name to to basically describe, to to capture that, uh, uh, you know, what she meant to the family. And and the Chinese name is Rui Qing, um, which means the first flower of spring and and, or first flower bud of spring. And, And, you know, because, you know, it was like her coming into the world was like a sign that our winter was ending, that spring was here. And, and so that became one of the most important ingredients for memory glue. And, and you know, effectively, that's where the end started, I suppose, where the book started.
1: So I don't think we've touched on this enough uh, because one of um, our favourite things about the book is how much it uses mythology, folklore particularly Southeast Asian, Asian mythology Uh, The World of Mist and the Creatures is really so much that's inspired from these aspects Uh, I wanted you to talk about what went into the world building of the story and um, your own interest when it comes to local mythology
2: Um, I mentioned earlier about how my dad used to ply me with books, uh, you know, all the mythology and fairy tales. And, and and you know, um, those really shaped me as a person. And, and then in writing this book, wanting to create a story for my daughter, I, I then realized that, oh my gosh, most of these uh, heroes, most of these creatures were basically Angmo creatures and Angmo heroes, you know, like not, not all from the West, things like goblins, gnomes, dryads and all that, King Arthur, and and I figured, you know, hey, I want why can't my daughter have, and I didn't know many. Uh, I couldn't find many books or from, from our own region and stories and myths from my own region um, for my daughter. And I wanted her to have some heroes of her own who looked like her and, and 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 some creatures from her own backyard, you know. And and um so it became an inspiration for me to go and you know make that book for her and, and go out and learn a bit more about the, the creatures around our area. And like I found out, wow, there's so many cool creatures cool uh monsters out there of course a lot of scary ones in fact our, our region has mostly ghosts and and and, and scary monsters because it's mostly all these uh grandmothers who who created all this to scare kids into you know into obedience um but yeah I knew I found out how many cool things there were and, and how much how little I knew and 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 I also ended up making quite a number of creatures up that actually don't exist. Uh, so that was a bit of the the, the, the world building I went into. it.
0: So, Daryl, you've spoken elsewhere about how the book took quite a circuitous route to publication. It also took a while to write. Um, tell us about that.
2: Um, yeah, it took, I guess, from the initial idea all the way to final, you know, having a book in print and in bookstores. It was a seven years and uh, journey. Um The first time, the first draft that came out really quickly, I banged it out, you know, driven by inspiration and all adrenaline uh, in six months. But then I realized that real writing is actually not in the writing. It's actually in the rewriting, Uh, editing and, you know, constant rewrites. And, And so from first, so from idea to first draft was six months, but from first draft to second draft, actually, that took four years. Um, why 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 four years? Because um life, work, you know, job changes, business trips, all that got on the way. Uh and then it was finally, you know, it was start, stop, start, stop, and really didn't really I didn't I was came to the point where I thought maybe I'll never finish. But it was only when my dad just suddenly passed away that I it was a wake-up call that I took it taken too long. Um I, I you know I wrote it for him, but it was now too late. Um so then I Took it as a full time job. I decided, you know, I'd be serious about this and treated like second job. And I used to set aside lunch time when during work every lunch I'll go work and find some cafe and bang away. And finally, the in terms of the publishing, yeah, then eventually I finish. But then in terms of publishing bit, then you know I started out expecting to self publish because you know going around researching, I realized how difficult it is to get traditionally published. Um, and and that's why I hired my own illustrator. Um, silly jelly uh, fantastic artist uh, from Miri Sarawak um, and and but then once I had the draft out, I thought you know might as well just give it a shot submit it to publishers and see what happens like, of course, self-publishing is a full-time job uh, you have to do everything yourself so yeah, I submitted to several publishers I think more than 10 and I got rejected by all until the last final shot where I said after this one we cannot and I'm just going to self-publish uh, and, and it, thankfully it was the biggest one I'm just penguin and, and, you know, miraculously, they, they gave
1: me an offer. So the book has since been extremely well-received. It won both the Hedwig Anwar Children's Book Award. It also won the Best Young Person's title at the Singapore Book Awards last year. Um, it's also ended up on a number of must-read lists and all that. How are you feeling about the attention that Miss Bound has been getting?
2: Oh, well, first of all, I didn't even expect to finish it, um, let alone get it published. Uh, then to have it come all this way, win awards, and have people actually tell me they like it or were touched by the story. And you know what? Um, best of all, I I I even got to speak to Lynn and Shamela of BFM. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's like a dream come true. Um, I know it's a bad analogy, but it's a bit like a toilet roll. Uh, <laughs> It's like a present, you know, that keeps unwrapping and unraveling. Like it's a never-ending present. Okay, if toilet roll is a bad, bad, you know what I mean? It just keeps going on and on and it's still constantly a gift that keeps giving itself.
0: So, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Mistbound has a lot of lovely messages. Um, you know, I, I found it very moving about the importance of family, the power of love and kindness and how they can help to heal. Um we talked earlier about the attention in terms of the, the media and the awards, which, as you point out, I'm sure is great. But what kind of feedback have you been getting from readers, from parents, from young readers?
2: Well, one of my uh, first uh, reviews on Goodreads was actually from an 11-year-old boy. Uh, so I always remember that. And he, he told me that he had read his uh, aunt's copy, his aunt, auntie's uh, copy of Miss Bound Over and over again, five times, and then finally he asked his aunt to give it to him as a a present for his uh, eleventh birthday because it's his favorite book. I I love that one, and I've of course been tagged with samples of kids who who who, who, you know chose *Miss Bound* as their schoolwork assignments. And and then two weeks ago, I think this was really touching for me is that I got a nice note from a parent who said that I had. I just want to tell you I have two kids, um, twelve and fourteen, and they both hate reading. But they finish a book in three days and they love it. You know, I, I thought it was so cool. And I also have like grandparents who who tell me that they bought a book so that for their grandkids so they don't forget them. Um, but actually, interestingly, and I kind of unexpectedly is that a lot of the most touching ones actually also came from teenagers and young adults. Um, so like some bookstagrammers, one who's from uh, East Malaysia who basically videoed herself screaming and saying. She's finally feels seen, you know, represented as an East Malaysian or you know as as uh, in in a book, and a lot of the the bookstagrammers also post the book reviews with their photos of their grandparents because the book made them uh, remember uh, their, their grandparents. But I think I guess the most touching ones are those that come from uh, uh people or readers who have grandparents that suffered from dementia, um or lost their grandparents. Uh, so for example, one uh, said, "My dad." died from Alzheimer's and and this story was like little me trying to save him uh and, and finally one one is told me that she was very touched by uh this chapter in the book uh, uh, this chapter called misted windows and and it's about this moment of clarity that uh, uh that dementia patients sometimes have you know like it's as though they wake up from their sleep you know and have that uh, lucidity you know and and can remember everything for that for that little window and her grandma had uh, one episode where she just woke up and said I'm so sorry for forgetting you I I really don't want to but I just can't find you so you know um yeah that that really stayed with
1: Daryl what's next for you what are you working on
2: um I've been I, I published a short story uh last year um with HarperCollins Kids It's a sci-fi anthology, but mostly I've been focused on what's next for Miss uh and not so much for what's next for me in terms of writing. I, I yeah, I want to write more books and make it serious, but I kind of want to grow Miss Bound, maybe as a brand. Um uh there's conversations ongoing to translate it into other languages. So I just signed a contract with a Chinese publisher to bring it to China in Chinese. Um And it's pretty exciting because China's like the world's biggest biggest book market. Um, And then, uh, Lin, you would know this, uh, if you remember Bora, Bora Cheung, cursed Bunny, international booker, prize nominee, right? Um, So we met her in uh, uh, Georgetown Lit Fest in in Penang. And she, you know, so kindly bought a copy of my book when she was at the event. uh, and, And then she read it and loved it and told me that she wants to translate it to Korean. So... That was is really cool. It's It will take time because we still need to find a publisher, but I think that is like super cool of her. Um, and then next week, um, Miss Bound's actually launching as a game. Um, it's an on-ground experience uh, launched by the Singapore Book Council, and they've made it into something like a mini escape, like in-person on-ground uh, where kids can play like a mini escape room. Um, and and also recently signed a development deal with a Korean American company to try and adapt it for a screen. Um, that will take a long time because journey from book to screen can take years, decades, maybe never. But you know what? Never hurts to dream, right? Because um, like in the book, Grandpa says, uh, "What are dreams? But memories, uh, just waiting to be made." Just like this book, I mean, it was once a dream, but now it's a dream that I can actually hold in my hands. So yeah.
0: Daryl, thank you so much for speaking with us today.
2: My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.
0: We've been speaking with Daryl Ko, um, author of Mistbound How to Glue Back Your Grandpa, which, as you heard, uh, could go in so many different directions and be read in so many different regions and languages hopefully soon. Um, let us know. Have you read Mistbound? You can WhatsApp 018 tweet us at BFM Radio, and write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. And that brings us to footnotes. And uh, as is customary, after we interview an author, we usually like to review or give a mini review of the book that we've just been speaking about, which in this case, again, is Daryl Coe's Missbound, How to Glue Back Your Grandpa. And I'm happy to say that I would recommend this to anybody. I'm so pleased to be able to review it. I enjoyed it a lot. I would recommend it to anybody. I would particularly recommend
1: it to children, if I'm recommending books directly to children, uh, to parents who are looking to give their children something to read. Um, And to add a layer to that, if you live in Malaysia, Southeast Asia, Asia, and you want things that feel local and feel familiar, uh, uh, even more so, I would say this is a great one to
0: pick up. So I think that, uh, I think that some of the the, the strengths of Mistbound um, are in how clear the message gets across. Um, some of the messages that Daryl spoke about just then of, um, you know, being loving and kind and and brave when you need to be, uh, but also of loving the people who are in your life before they are unable to remember you or before they are unable to share their memories of their life with you. And yet that that message comes through without it feeling like a book that is only about a message. And I think that's crucial because the reason why you, both you and I would recommend it to children is because it never feels like you're getting lectured, I think. Um, instead, it feels like you're just reading a rollicking, fantastical locally-based fairy story with characters that feel real to you, with characters that you can understand, and at the end of it, you emerge with those messages. And I think that's ideal, rather than the pendidikan moral version, which would be the other
1: way around. (laughs) And actually, I mean, I'm actually saying the same thing as you, but perhaps in a different way. Uh, It does the thing that all really good children or young adult books do, um, which is to use... (sighs) Spoonful of Sugar Helps the Medicine Go Down concept, Mm -hmm. basically, right? It uses these fantastical imagery. Um, The story is funny. Uh, There are parts where descriptions and and the words just sound absolutely beautiful. But at the heart of it, it's actually quite a difficult story. It's about a difficult experience. It's about growing up. It's about learning that life isn't always easy, um, that things can happen that feel difficult, that feel like you can't resolve them. And there's a reason why children's stories do these things, because they're meant to prepare kids for eventual adulthood. And this book really sits perfectly in the, in the middle. Earlier, um, you asked Daryl about that sense of peril and how to balance it out. And, and I think I think this book actually balances it out so well. It isn't overwrought. It doesn't push it so much that, you know, you might have to have complicated conversations with your kids. But at the same time, it does feel very real and very sincere
0: nor is it so invested in the happy ending that it stops making sense which I think is important because sometimes um, and and this happens with adult books as well we have talked about this with adult books that we have reviewed on our show there is a rush towards the ending and an investment in the ending that isn't necessarily borne out by the story and so what happens is right at the end suddenly everything resolves and you think wait what happened? Um, but instead the way this goes has a very natural rhythm to it which I enjoyed a lot nothing felt rushed Uh, I also wanted to talk about the characters because Alexis is wonderful company, just really fun. It's so nice being with her. It's so nice being on this adventure through her lens. Um, Grandma is such a relatable character. Um, And I think the, the relationship that Alexis has with her grandparents where she's closer to one, and then gets the opportunity to become close to the other. I think that's a lovely thing. And it's also a very deft thing to be able to do, where Grandpa loses his memories very early, actually, in the book. And yet, because they're constantly talking about him because they're worried about him because his advice echoes throughout the chapters. You still feel like you got to know him. Yes, I actually love how the book depicts the grandparents as
1: well as Alexis uh, and their relationship. And I loved that the reality, the way in which that relationship is depicted, because this is something most people will recognize, I think, whether with parents or grandparents. They have different personalities. You might relate to them differently. They may both love you, but they love you in different ways, and therefore that shapes your relationship with them. And I think that's captured very well in the book. Uh, I also love the, the quirkiness that's introduced to the characters. So, um, Grandpa being this sort of impish lover of stories and lover of plants and insects and he just sounds so much fun to be around um, and then and then, as you said his influence sort of permeates the book even though as an actual character he's not really there a lot uh, Grandma on the other hand like Alexis it takes us some time to get to know her um, and that's a really lovely journey to go on as well I will say I suppose the the comedic sidekick role that is filled in by Riff, who is a kinet, um he is complicated, but I think he's meant to be because you don't always like him. There are points in the book where I was like, oh my God, like this character, can I deal with this character? But then I think that's what Alexis feels as well. So in the end, I think it was quite clever.
0: Yeah. Um, but also to the point you made earlier about Books like these being meant to to prepare children uh, for to prepare children or to create conversation in families, right? I think Riff, in many ways, there's a lot of anger and sadness and regret in that character. I mean, of course, he's impish; he is, in fact, well, an imp. Um, so, <laughs> of course, there is a playfulness and a lightness to um, to the way he behaves, but there. There's also I think an opportunity there to see what it's like when someone has regrets um, or when someone wishes that they hadn't done what they'd done. and um, yeah and 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 yet there's also ambiguity, right because because like you said, they are who they are, so they persist in the mischief and the the kind of pushing buttons even till the end. Um, No, I agree. I also wanted to point out that one
1: aspect of the book that I really enjoyed is the structure, because it's a quest novel. And the quest is laid out Pretty clearly at the start of the book, they need to look for ingredients for the memory glue, um, and so the way the the way the book is structured, it's almost like you know a new thing is around the corner, and you also know that you're going to possibly learn about a new uh, community or a new uh, type of creature or a new riddle to solve, and there's something so fun about it. It's been a while since I've read a. I suppose, a a middle grade fantasy that took on this format and did it so well. You feel like you're watching a, a movie or a TV show with something really exciting around the corner at each turn. And I think I just really enjoyed being in that space.
0: So we've been discussing Daryl Coe's *Misbound*: How to Glue Back Your Grandpa and our impressions of reading it. Like we said, we would recommend it uh, very strongly, especially if you have kids um, or middle grade readers. Kids seems a little... Uh, I, I don't know. How old do you think, Sharmila, you'd have to be to enjoy I would say this?
1: maybe if if your child is a sort of good reader uh, mm.
0: nine and above perhaps yeah, yeah. I was going to say
1: eight-ish I 8 think, ish nine would above would be fine I think
0: yes but then all the way up to adulthood two yes. adults enjoyed it here so yes let us know um, again Daryl Coe's Missbound have you read it yet do you plan to you can WhatsApp 18 789 tweet us at BFM Radio and write to us at BuyTheBook at bfm.mine.